Please remain seated until the onboard vows are fully completed. Singapore's rogue telepaths claim another victim. More drama for the Malaysian king who gave up his crown for love. A Belgian reporter tells us his story of being arrested in Bangkok. Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast, our look at the latest and greatest reporting from our eight newsrooms in Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Todd Rees, and I'm the managing editor of Coconuts Bangkok. And I'm associate editor Tara Kamaltanavith. Hey, folks. Hey, Tara. Hey, Todd. What, uh, things are good? You're good? Yeah, I'm finally, finally not sick. I feel like I'm just emerging, like I'm just starting to come up out of this black pit of congestion and phlegm, and maybe because the air is a little bit... So I don't know what to blame. I don't know. Everyone I know has been sick like twice, and we talked right. about this last week, so we won't dwell on it, but but yes, we're feeling better, better. and that feels good. Right, but it's been, a, as, as always, it's been a busy week in uh, we Southeast Asia. We say this Asia. every week, but you know, we're, we've got our fingers on the pulse of uh, eight countries. I'm sorry, seven countries, eight cities. Eight yes. cities in seven countries. Um, and so it's just a lot to process. Yeah. And, and so a lot of other silly things we want to talk about, but since we've got quite a show ahead, right. shall we just yes. get to it? Yes. And we'll, later on, we'll be joined by um, a Belgian reporter who was arrested in Bangkok. Yeah, we're going to catch on a bunch of things going on in Bangkok after we go through the headline news, um, and including talk to a Belgian journalist who... Uh, his welcome to town were a bunch of cops whisking away and throwing in the pokey for a few hours and what that was all about. That sounds like a really shitty welcome to any country. Mm. But with that, let's get started on the news, shall we? At least 77 people were arrested this week in Hong Kong for violating a controversial ban on wearing masks in public. Chief Executive Carrie Lam said it was necessary to restore order and public safety, but critics said it was an illegal move that smacked of authoritarianism. But really, the dominant story resonating worldwide this week was a series of made-for-social-media moments in which multinational companies took actions to appease Beijing. There were a lot of these. There was vans. Uh, Protesters destroyed van shoes after the shoemaker removed a design from a contest showing anti-government protesters. And there was Tiffany's. The jeweler Tiffany company deleted a tweet showing a model covering her right eye just in case people thought it referenced the shooting of a female volunteer in the eye a couple months ago. Then there was the NBA, which gave a grovelly apology for a team manager's tweet supporting the protests, until Commissioner Adam Silver reversed course Tuesday, saying the NBA would not censor its employees, players, and team owners. But just a couple days after that, a husband and wife say they were kicked out of a preseason game, not in Shanghai, but Philadelphia, for waving free Hong Kong signs. Goddamn. Hmm. And then there's Apple Computer, which on Thursday pulled an app uh, that apparently was being used by protesters. By well, was being used to crowdsource locations of police and also kind of street violence. And I guess I could imagine it could be used both ways, right? If you want to find these things or avoid them. Yeah. Um, but so uh, Chinese state media published the People's Daily published this op-ed threatening the company for what it said was being unwise and reckless, and Apple uh, almost immediately pulled the app, took it offline. Something that's particularly hits close home to me as a, as an avid gamer is that one of my favorite game developers, uh, Blizzard, Blizzard Entertainment, banned a Hearthstone player, took his prize money back, uh, and, then, and then refused to let him play again 
just because he said something supportive in an interview after his winning match. Damn. Yeah, I'm so it's, you know, and it's, this has really sparked a lot of fierce debate. It's angered a lot of consumers, many of whom are calling for boycotts and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's almost like people are waking up to the fact that despite all the just do it and no fear and think different and all the other commercial appeals to individualism, the corporate culture is really no substitute for the real thing. Mm. That's on my soapbox there. And then came South Park. Oh, and then Kenny learned to play bass watching YouTube videos of John Lennon with the Dalai Lama. Oh, 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 yeah. No, no, we don't want to go there. Talking about the Dalai Lama doesn't go over well with the Chinese. The, the, the what? Look, for this movie to really make money, we need to make sure it clears the Chinese censors, you know? We want those Chinese viewers. You know what they say. You gotta lower your ideals of freedom if you want to suck on the warm teat of China. With impeccable cultural timing, the cartoon's eternal fourth graders shamed all these Western companies for compromising their values in fear of losing a little market share. South Park, predictably, was immediately scrubbed from the Chinese internet. Hello, Coco Kittens. Have we got some fresh dirt for you. Do you remember earlier this year when Sultan Muhammad V of Malaysia abdicated his kingship after marrying a Russian beauty queen half his age, only to divorce her almost immediately afterwards? Well, in case you need a quick reminder, here's Coconuts KL managing editor Jacqueline Raposo with a quick summary. Well, it's a pretty bizarre story from the jump. A couple of years ago, this sultan of Kelantan was elected to become the Agong of Malaysia, which is sort of the ruler amongst kings, and it's a role that is shared and lasts for about four or five years. And during his uh, time, his reign, he decided to take medical leave. But in actuality, what happened, I mean, maybe he was ill, but then he also did get married in Russia to this woman, uh, Oksana Vovodina. And... It was meant to be a hush-hush affair, but of course photos were leaked to the tabloid press and eventually more details of this woman came about. You know, she was kind of a lingerie model, a lot of scantily clad photos, a reality television show actress. And it was a big contrast with the state that the Sultan is from, which is a very conservative state, very um, conservatively Islamic. And so there was a lot of uh, surprise here that he had married her, but even more shocking was that no one would admit to it. Um, there was no official you know, recognition of this union via the palace press, and uh, eventually the sultan abdicated. Uh, about two months after that, it came to our attention that uh, Oksana was pregnant, then that she had given birth, and shortly after that, that he was divorcing her. This happened in Singapore, and her side claims that she didn't even know that this had happened. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, so this is already a bizarre royal drama story. So what is happening now? Well, the saga continues. Ms. Vovodina has decided to give an interview with the Daily Mail. And in this interview, she's now claiming that not only was she abandoned at four months pregnant, but she had to pawn off this engagement ring that had been given to her by the king in order to settle her medical bills. In other words, he had left her high and dry. 
uh, it's some pretty sensational claims, essentially calling the father of your child a bit of a deadbeat dad. Then the following day, the Sultan's lawyers responded, his Singaporean law firm, saying, well, actually, he did offer her money, but she refused it because she said that she could get more money selling her story to a UK tabloid. His side is also claiming that she was given money in cash, uh, $20,000 US, she was given a car, she was given other jewelry as gifts uh, during their short-lived union. Now, Miss Vovodina has always claimed that uh, there were even more details that she could share about her short-lived union to the Sultan. So uh, we could probably expect a few of those to be leaked in the next uh, in the next few days. Thanks for that, Jack. And with all that money being spent on his private affairs, many Malaysians are wondering where he got all that money from. Hmm. Tara, I want you to look into my eyes. Uh, wh- why are you waving a pocket watch in front of me? Ignore that. <laughs> See, Tara, I'm, I'm building a giant Thai spirit house, and I'm going to fill it with kitties. The kitties will sip from bowls of milk left as offerings. The kitties will frolic and snooze. Picture, picture the solar stage at Wonder Fruit, but mm. covered with kitties. I can dig that. Do you want do you want to help me see this become a reality? Yes. Kitties, yes. Well, it can become real with your help. And by help, I mean the money kind of help. Ah, now that I don't got. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing no motion toward your your purse, your wallet or she's she's not just Okay, I'm going to blame my lack of turban for failing to drain your wallet today. This week, a Singaporean man said he was hypnotized into giving more than 300 Singaporean dollars by an older man in a turban. The unidentified delivery man wrote in a police complaint that the 50-something-year-old was soliciting temple donations at Tanjong Pagar Plaza. The alleged mind control victim said that the older man claimed to be from Kuala Lumpur and needed the money for a temple he owned there. Now, the writer said he planned to only give him a buck or two. But that's when this apparent malignant telepath hacked his brain to seize his motor controls. Could, could you give our readers a dramatic reading of what he wrote next? Of course. I was completely unaware of my actions, and it seemed that the old man had hypnotized me. After he took the money, he left, and I came to my senses. The man said he then looked for the swindling swami, but he had disappeared. So what, he's like a ninja too? That was just the beginning, though. Apparently, Singapore has a real problem with rogue telepaths, if you believe the avalanche of stories that followed. Everyone and their ama chimed in online to say they too had similar experiences or had heard stories of such. And indeed, a number did take place in Tanjong Pagar, so be sure to go double-ply on that tin foil when heading into the Central Business District. Yeah. Love is in the air, quite literally, with Garuda Indonesia Airlines planning to roll out onboard weddings for their passengers. Cut, cut, cut. Knock, just, can you stop it? Killjoy. Yeah, thanks. Airline president Ari Eskara announced that they are in talks with several wedding organizers to let people get hitched in the sky. But before you get too excited about joining the Mile High Club on your wedding night, it should be noted that these are only very preliminary plans. 
they haven't figured out most of the details, like whether it would just be on any flight or just charter flights. As Kara said that the airline isn't looking to profit, at least at first, but it will, quote, prioritize giving a new experience. What does that even mean? <laughs> and like, what is the thrill of getting married on, on the CEO speaking. I got to know where this idea came from. It's like, did you ever see that Simpsons episode where they profits are down? There's like a whole part of the year where they're not making money. So like, we need a new holiday. Oh, and they just create a new holiday. <laughs> that's, that, and they say, we'll call it Love Day, but we'll think of something later to be less cheesy. And then uh, they, they just call it Love Day. <laughs> no, they're going to like make this thing like a mile high. Have you joined the mile high wedding club? But Ascara thinks this could be a huge hit with millennials with some money to spend and said that it might be possible that each guest would be charged a normal airfare. Mm, but I don't know. I mean, the price of a plane ticket is already pretty high. Would you say yes to an airborne wedding invitation? If you're paying. Yeah, right? It's like you're asking your guests to buy a plane ticket. No, it's totally... I can't be, I can't be asked to go to, like, Phuket for a wedding. Right. I mean, it'd have to be something really special. <laughs> and it's not, that's not, like, even going anywhere. It's like asking your guests to spend time on a plane. And where are we going? We all have to agree on a destination? <laughs> True. Yeah, just, are we going on the honeymoon together? Yeah, there's a lot to figure are we out. we doing a group honeymoon? Good luck, Garuda. Well, I'm sure everyone will be dying to hear more about that. Maybe right. maybe they'll have that ready by, by February. Yeah, maybe by Valentine's. Okay, so... One thing we didn't mention in those headlines was Bangkok. Yes. And I assume that's because nothing's going on in Bangkok. It's just been a quiet week. Um, justice is prevailing. The guilty are being punished. <laughs> the corrupt the are in jail. The rich are carrying their burden. The poor <laughs> are being uplifted. And the... Um, the what the, the dogs are being fed. the the yeah <laughs> the, the the afflicted are being comforted and the comfortable are being afflicted correct as if mm. as if uh, that is my hope for bangkok but unfortunately it's been a week of a lot of crime um some mansplaining and some a lot of really tragic news about animals dying again oh man let's start there let's start there i mean i saw well, hang on, you gotta explain what happened so, so these elephants what was it, six elephants first? Originally, yes. Originally, they found these six elephants at the bottom of a waterfall dead. So they believe the elephant slipped and fell into the waterfall to their demise. And I've seen some stuff that's like, like oh, the elephants were trying to help each other. And I, and I don't know, I mean, the elephants are very family-oriented, but I, I don't know if that's really been established, um, whether it was it reaches that level of awful. Um, and then a few days later, the death toll went up to 11. Yeah, they found five more. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. Uh, I remember the first image I saw the day that happened. I think that was on a Saturday. It was actually thing. last weekend. Yeah, it was last Saturday. Kao Yai. And I was actually up there. I was up near there. Oh, no. And I was uh, checking headlines. I was, in, I was enjoying the birthday weekend. I was checking headlines, and I saw these like roundish brown sad muddy shapes and it was it was like it's just it's just really sad it's so depressing and they're huge animals and i think the buzz online is like when we put that story up a lot of people were like this is not right like how can 11 this is their habitat no like how can 11 elephants just slip and fell one day i think that's i think that's odd too yeah, I, sometimes I think, I mean, I, we are given to be suspicious and a little conspiratorial, especially in, in, in a place that, uh, yes, I mean, justice, animals are often at the receiving end of injustice and bad things. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, but at the same time, probably it's like, you know, if a tree falls, if 11 elephants die in a forest and there's no camera there, would would anyone notice? You know, right. I mean, animals do, like, I think animals do die. And there's, right. like, there's, there's, however awful it is, I, I, you know, I would hope that it was just a, a random natural, and I'm sure you could trace this back and say, global warming killed the elephants and yeah. somehow that raining and the flooding but but mm, i don't I, I don't know i don't know yeah. um I, this is one thing i wish i could not feel responsible for because yeah. the photos are well, just terrible some people are saying it's like oh are the locals i'm not even going to go there because that's very cons, cons yeah no there's a lot of there, yes there's and there's there are you know we've got monkey on human conflict we've got elephant on farmer conflict i mean there are places where just because of the the expansion of humans has encroached so much upon Yes, upon wildlife that there is conflict but I mean they're in the national park right at a protected waterfall I, I, yeah I, but the good news is that they did build a fence to, to like in this hazardous area to avoid this from ha- did Mexico pay for it <laughs> no you have Trump wishes yeah well yep. and it, look let's let's finish the story on a happy note one mom elephant and her calf uh, did survive. They did survive. They're being closely monitored. They're like monitoring with drones. Oh, I don't know when the National Park Service got drones, but they're they're watching. Okay, <laughs> so uh, we wish them the best, and we hope that yes. yeah, all yeah, we good luck to you, elephants. Okay. Um, otherwise, what's going on with uh, what's going on with the Lalabelle? This is the the pretty the model who last month was found dead. Yes. Um, and there were arrests and the kind of expanding investigation, a growing sense that she might have been very victimized from yeah. the get go yeah. by being hired for this private party. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't know the story. Um, she was uh, taken from this private party by a guy who said she was too drunk. On September 16th. Taken back to his condo um, and and then later... Uh, was found dead in his Found dead in lobby. his lobby, right? But the thing is, like, the thing that got caught everyone's attention, the media and social media, is the fact that there are CCTV of this girl unconscious, look like limp body being dragged around this guy's condo. We get these tabloid stories i'd say every other year that really burn up the oxygen yeah and this one had uh you know for all this like kind of crowdsource um like there's this facebook group csi la right which for years they've been involved in sort of like finding things so uh, you know all these armchair detectives had a lot of things to pour over there was cctv footage from the condo of him dragging her body around there was um videos he had posted of her um, drunk in his car or? yeah and, and passed out in the car videos of her at the, at the party and just like all this stuff that, and all these messages and the chat messages leaked out yeah. so it was a lot of material right, for right. for admittedly uh, you know uh, unprofessional uh, amateur investigators to kind of right. put together but but uh, there was a lot to see there yeah. what so where we left it at he's on he's in jail some of the people uh, who owned the house where all this went down We're had been arrested. Jail. Six people from the party, including one pretty, um, a ma- another uh, model, yeah, a mo- one model and one. Um, what do you call it? A model manager, like someone right. who manages models and send them to gigs. The yeah. house owner, brother, brother, two right. brothers, and they were arrested after another woman who emerged yes. at, from the same party, saying her name is Deer. So she goes by Deer. That that's what she's known as online. Yeah. Um. So she emerged recently, and with her own story, apparently that night after Lullabell left, so around ten or eleven. This is the same night as Lullabell. After Ratchet takes Lullabell home. 
this woman arrives, another pretty arrives to entertain the guests. She said she had a couple of shots, a couple of drinks, and she's a heavy drinker. And, and that was all she wrote. Yeah, not like Lullabelle, who was not a drinker. This woman is can drinker. drink. Yeah, this woman like drinks for a living. But she suddenly blacks. She I mean, she's gone. She blacks out, and then she wakes up the next day. Up, this party's downstairs. She wakes up upstairs without a shirt on. In another bed with in some another underwear bed. that's not hers. Yeah. That, that, that's not hers. She wakes up alone, but in right. pants that's not hers yeah. with her undergarments right. lying next to and her. And she went to the police and said, hey, I think I was raped. Right, And but she, she was, so she knew immediately that like, something would have yeah. happened, so she collected all the right. evidence and she somehow took, well, and I don't Before know. then, a lot of people had been like, hey, why aren't you looking more into the people in these right. house? And there were some rumors about why maybe they weren't yeah, involving yeah. the status of some of the people right. involved. But they found. So but this was tipping point. This woman coming forward. It's right. like they had to arrest them. Yeah, and they also found semen, traces of semen on these this woman's undergarments. So that sure. kind of sealed the deal. Even though, like afterwards, a lot of clips emerged showing her being entertaining her guests very passionately. And I think there's there's, there's started to be a culture of. Oh, Deera was like asking for. No, it. you got to blame the victim. I and mean, these right. women are being paid to go be sexy. Right. Whether right. or not, and and and. Often not with sex being part of the equation, mm-hmm. um, but they're just doing their job. So, right. but so yes, but 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 anyways, that's right. So anyway, so after so what Deer, happened this week? After Deer, yeah. So so far, seven people have been arrested, but the six of them, six that were were later arrested, have been released on bail. The only one that was denied bail is Rachadid, which is the male model who carried her to the lobby. And um, last week, this how, what do I even call him? He's like this self. She's like this justice crusader, this crime crusader, claims that he got a bunch of evidence, chats, photos, videos, um, and handed it over to the police. And he alleges that there were live Facebook videos. Uh, That guy to me seems like one of these crackpot charlatans doing anything for media attention. And he may have something, but... um but even more, I mean, the, the, the autopsy results went to the family. Yeah, the autopsy report went to the family. And the family, so the family said they were really stuck on, number one, how she died. They were like, you know, I don't think Lullabelle died from alcohol poisoning. They don't buy that They weren't narrative. satisfied with whatever was in that, which hasn't been made public. But which they weren't satisfied public. with the results. And they were also not satisfied about what the police have told them about her sexual assault. They're like, yo, you got to do another autopsy. So another autopsy is happening today by another hospital. Tamasad sure. Memorial Hospital, and they are doing another autopsy. They uh, they can't do the cause of death anymore because she's already been. Um, f- so they can't. They're they're focusing this autopsy now on whether or not she was sexually assaulted and by how many people and what the like the details of the sexual assault. Basically, well, there's still some big, very uncomfortable questions, and we got to. I think we referenced them last time, but the the window of the time of death and when and where she was assaulted. I think what hasn't been answered is, uh, you know, was she abused by a lot of people at this party, as the victim's crusader guy alleges? Yeah, yeah. Was she, was she raped uh, before? I mean, really, was she raped before and after she died? Is that yeah. what we're looking at? And is it possible that just the, the weight of that is something that in, in conservative, button-down Thailand, the police don't want to get into and address? Right. Is that something the family... Anyway, the family hasn't, you know, they're... They're keeping close to their vest what their concerns are while the process right, runs out, right. which makes sense. Um, and and certainly uh, there's compelling public interest in this. Um, and I just w- I just wish, as with a lot of these things, I wish we could have the confidence and the faith that 
when things, the process had run its course, that there'd be a due accounting mm-hmm. of, of, of what went on. Yeah. Um, and, I don't want to, uh, hang on. That there'd be a due accounting for her sake, for the family's sake, um, and that enough would be answered to at least, uh, you know, have some semblance of justice and closure on the whole thing. Yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like the media attention has died down, so the investigation is moving a little slowly. And I think that ties into another thing that I talked, I wrote about this week, which is the invest the legal process surrounding rape cases in Thailand. Right. Because according to the UN, nearly ninety percent of rape goes unreported sure. largely due to law enforcement attitudes and out of that number only four percent ends in prosecution so to put yeah. that in context 96 percent of predators are out there like yeah. just roaming around in public well i mean there's plenty of, i mean <laughs> this stuff seems to happen a lot and to know that that's just the tip of the iceberg and that 90 percent of it's unseen and that also means that you know a vast majority of uh, women, and it's not just to say women are raped, but we're mostly talking women here, yeah. are not getting counseling, mm-hmm. not getting treatment, not getting the stuff that would help them, you know, uh, uh, push through, survive, and, and recover from this. Be- police are not believing these these women's stories, and they're not accepting the report. But the good news is that this week, um, the British Embassy is holding a seminar, a two-day seminar, to train first responders, so like tourist assistance centers and police <clears throat> on how to handle rape cases properly. Mm. So they invested, invited this woman, and she's, see, she's such a badass, Isabel Kerr. She's from Glasgow um, Rape Crisis Center, and she's responded to like so many cases. She's worked in this field for 38 years, and she, she, he, she's seen all kinds of cases. So she knows a lot about, about this, and so she came to Thailand to talk about the misconceptions that often surround rape. To whom? To whom? Let's do this. I'm going to play bad cop to your good cop. Okay. You, I'll, be the skept, I'll be the cynical skeptic to your... Tell me, convince me that this was a useful thing. Right, okay. Who did she talk to? What, what was the impact made? Okay, so basically the people who were there were police, um, <clears throat> doctors, first responders, as well as tourist assistants. They're basically located all over the country and they're the people tourists call when they need help. With that hotline number. Yeah, yeah. that was hotline number. Was this all number. being live translated? Yeah. So yeah, so they're they they were headphones. So um, if she spoke in English, there were headphones right. for you to speak Thai. So these are really the 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 T the TCA people are really the people you talk to, like tourists talk to when anything happens sure. to you, like if you're assaulted on the front lines. On the front lines. So um, they. I talked to one. I talked to a few of them, and most were very interested in learning about the proper way to handle it because you do have to ask some really hard questions. They were sincerely interested. They were I sincerely interested, and because you you know you have to ask some really hard questions. The cops too, to sensitivity, the, right, uh, right. And they wanted to learn how to be more sensitive to them, how to ease the process for them, and how to make sure that they're getting the truth. You know, amidst all the emotions, sure. as well as what the reactions, the different reactions that each victim has. No, cops these days are are, are because they're because they're handling most things that come up. They are de facto social workers, right. right? They have to both deal with a vic- potential victim, their emotional state, um, but then also the legal process and and prosecution and all of that, right? Yeah. Um, which in any part of the world, they tend to be Ill- unequipped for. Yeah. 
And I mean, it reminds me a lot of, I know this Netflix series is very popular now, unbelievable. It's about a story of a woman who got, he gets raped by a serial rapist and nobody believes her because after she was raped, she, to others, she acts very normally. She's very detached. She's very almost aggressive and she's not. So, so people didn't believe her and the police ended up filing a defamation lawsuit saying that she lied about her rape. So this, I thought that was really striking to me because what Isabel talked about a lot was the fact that people react differently. Some people could be crying. Some people could be totally fine. Some people could be even more aggressive. Some people could, you know, there's so many different reactions. Oh, and I think all of that is completely spot on. Right. And I I think that these people who came into this are doubtlessly amazing people with the best noble intentions. Mm -hmm. You know, I think... Insofar as the police and policing our problem is only symptomatic of a full-spectrum society-wide attitude issue and flying in foreign counselors for a one-time thing, Mm -hmm. um, does that make any difference? Yes, in a few cases it will through a few people, but is it going to turn the page in any systemic change without leadership, without Mm -hmm. moral leadership, without uh, Thai leadership on the issue then, yeah, well, I think I've kind of said how, how yeah, I feel about that. Yeah, I agree with that, And actually. you ran into this face-to-face. Yeah, I and did. And this came up I in did. your story. And yeah. actually, it was one of those things, like, we call it the buried lead. Yeah. Which is, like, you read through a story, and then halfway through, you're like, oh, shit, what's that? Yeah. Like, that should be at the top. So what, tell right. me a bit about that. Because we write, we love to write sentences like, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, challenged by prevailing cultural attitudes. Right, Okay, right. but you you saw that firsthand. I did. What did that look like? So the first time I witnessed it was when the tourists, the Minister of Tourists and Sports took the stage. And he Minister was, of Tourism so, and yeah, Sports. Yeah, the Minister of Tourism yeah, and Sports. Yeah. So he took the stage and he was very defensive. Like everyone else there, it sure. was the British am- ambassador and Cindy Bishop, which is a supermodel. They were, were like, yes, we need to address this. But he was like, you know, we already have procedures in place, but I'd be interested to see what other people do and he he blamed the media a lot which i i really wanted to s- put my hand up but they didn't sure. do a q a session he said the media is pe- perpetuating two narratives right now that that the cops aren't stopping it from happening and that it happens a lot which he believes does the victim more harm than good um and another which if he's sincere about being concerned about the victim that's great but that's not what it sounded like he was saying no it just sounded like he it's just usual blame the messenger, yeah, exactly. thin-skinned. Exactly. And there is that, I mean, there's that cultural dynamic, right, of which right. is like, it's just not okay to say, hey, we've got a problem and we need to fix it. Right, right. There's too much shame attached to that. So it has to be like, uh, there's not that much of a problem and we are doing lots of things, right. even though there's not much of a problem. Right. But we can do a little more, we admit. Yeah. Like, that's the compromise that struck. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and and towards the end, I asked a question about... Um, well, you were talking to a woman who yeah. had been assaulted yes. in Chiang Mai many years ago, yes. kept it secret, and then she would decide to tell the story to try to help other women. So you're, yeah. you're doing kind of a one-on-one follow-up with yeah. her, just the two of you talking, and suddenly... <laughs> yeah, so suddenly this man who, who like, answered my... Who, like, I... I asked something about the legal process and he likes, he's a cop. So he stole the mic from literally the speaker and started answering me. And so I guess he decided that, that it wasn't enough that he answered me in that moment. So he approached me while I was talking to Emma Thomas, who is a victim of assault in a gym, in her own Muay Thai gym. And to say, Oh, well, you know, like, I don't think you can blame the legal process for not 
prosecuting or up reporting crimes because you need to have evidence when you report yeah, well, these crimes. Yeah, we kind of came up uninvited. You can interrupt totally. this conversation yeah, to yeah, be yeah. like, uh, uh, like uh, you know, you can't. You need evidence. Women need yeah, evidence. Yeah, yeah. You can't just. Uh, yeah, and he you said you can't it, just accuse people. You it, can't just arrest yeah. people. You gotta have evidence. It's and like, he, dude, he said it in Thai no English. No one's arguing. Like, no right. one, no one said that you should. Uh. And then he went on this weird segue in Thai just to for me to yeah. talk about like abortion law, which I, I have a clip of. Now that I think about it, I think he is presenting it as um, like a way to take care of rape victims. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, well, we have abortion. You know, you can get an abortion if you get, you know. It, oh, sure. There you go. Problem solved. Right. Yeah. So it, it's for me, in summary, I think it is a very, Ugh. the event is a good step towards a good direction, but a Ugh. lot of people still need to get on the same page about that. Hey, real quick, we got to, we got to, we got to buzz through these. Um, down in the South, this was, this was a really amazing moment. A lot of, a lot of, some media outlets really suppress this story um, because it is a crime to criticize the judiciary. Yes. So it was amazing to see well, I mean, it was uh, this time we had a judge. Yeah. Um, he walked into court Friday. He was supposed to just routine day, give a verdict on these five guys. Um, this is down in Yala, down in like the, the deep south. Uh, the defendants were Muslim, um, Muslim majority provinces. And, uh, you know, instead of. Uh, and so he walks in and he takes the stand, I guess. And he gives this starts giving this speech. Um, about about the uh, endemic systemic injustices of the Thai justice system, how he'd been either ordered or inspected, expected to uh, convict these guys, and three of them would have been, for the crimes they were accused of, would have been death sentences. Two of them would have gotten life sentences. Yeah. Um, and he said he said the evidence wasn't there, and this was all wrong, and so he gives this great speech, and he'd posted some manifesto on Facebook, and then he, um, and he's Facebook live in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Yeah, or try, yeah, tries to. Well, no, he himself. shoots himself. Yeah, he shoots himself. No, he shoots himself. But he tries to kill himself. Well, yeah, I mean, it clearly was an attempted suicide that, that didn't, didn't, that didn't work, work out as he had planned. Yeah. Um, but this guy tries to make himself a martyr for justice. Um, and, I mean, this is really a huge deal. It is. I, I it's like... It's another one of these kind of symptomatic things going on in Thailand right now where a lot of things seem to be coming apart at the seams. Yeah. And, I don't, and I've been here 10 years. And I don't say that lightly. Mm-hmm. But there is a growing dis-ease with some fundamental cultural structures. Yes. And, you know, we all have to be careful what we say here. Um, but... But this was, I'm, I'm unaware of any precedent for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got, it got people, I mean, activists picked, it up, picked up the round cry of what he's saying. He, so, yes, he survived. Um, and, and, oh, oh, but he also, he did exonerate the guys. He let them walk free. He said, yeah. look, the evidence isn't here. <clears throat> yeah. um, and, yes, the courts, to be fair, the courts say, oh, no, we didn't instruct him. We didn't order him to do anything. Um, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say anything more than that because I don't want to be guilty of convic- convic- <laughs> uh, contempt of court. Um, 
and and that leads on to so some of the activists. Speaking of activists, what happened this week started with a, An a very, very young, activist. young, cute boy who was one of the. He's like. I, we used to call him the cheerleader of the pro-democracy movement. <laughs> yeah. What happened to Gan? So on Sunday, Gan Pongpapapan was arrested by police over a post he made. And it wasn't even like a criticism. It was like a history of another country's monarchy. He was monarchy. talking about other monarchies. Yeah. And so he shared this post. And next thing he knew, he was arrested. Yeah. And clearly, I'm mean, okay. Look, fine. There's some maybe there was some dog whistle in the post. He was sort of I think it was a post about how other monarchies had met their end, um, but uh, there's nowhere in the law of Thailand is there anything about commentary about other monarchies or is inference a crime? Right, but the, he was still arrested under the Computer and Crime Law Computer Act. Crime Act. Yeah, and he was released on bail a day after for uh, the bail was like a hundred thousand. Sure. So. Sure, but it, it has gotten the country a little, uh, pretty riled up. People were upset. Well, and this came out. This came after there had been for a few weeks um, people complaining hashtags about the royal motorcades, yes, blocking traffic, blocking ambulances. Um, there were a few issues in that vein that came up that were causing, uh, you know, quite a stir online. Yeah. You know, and for the past decade, that kind of stuff you'd expect the, you know, royal defamation is, in case you know this, is illegal in Thailand. It's punishable by up to 15 years per offense. And though it was originally written to only apply to uh, the king, the queen, heir apparent, and the regent, it's just become so broadly interpreted to anything associated with the what they what's even euphemistically were just referred to as the high highest institution um uh that that you had all these people going to jail for it and 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 you know so now it seems that perhaps the this computer crime act which i mean just a year or two ago they rewrote it saying they were going to try to like make it less abused yeah <laughs> um and then if you look at everything they wrote it was just the i mean same <laughs> has nothing to do with i mean a computer crime act supposed to be about cyber crime right, about right, scams right, right, right. about hacking um but they put all this other stuff into it that just makes it basically uh anything that they that someone may deem was false Offensive. or untrue or right. like so many ways so uh, this seems to be the new kind of like uh catch-all tool for yeah. prosecution yeah like it's not as severe as as les majest it doesn't seem it doesn't have that baggage mm-hmm. um it's not as weighty as like sedition though they'd like to charge people with sedition too as mm-hmm. they did last week um so so gone is accused with this um and whether he'll ever see jail is like a lot of things we don't know a lot of this stuff is just used mm-hmm. to intimidate to scare and to silence Speaking of silencing, and yes, that's my segue, um, there was that dude, the B- Belgian guy who would come here, um, Belgian a journalist. A p- reporter, yeah. Reporter, yeah. Like, a, like a, not just one of these, like a lot of people call themselves reporters, but this guy, he had like a 20-year career with public radio, yeah. um, I think in Belgium, and he uh, he does have a human rights interest. He, he's, he, he's relocated to Cambodia, and he was coming here to interview someone, and his welcome to Bangkok was uh, uh, coming down from his hotel to a bunch of officers waiting. Uh, they, they took his stuff, they whisked him away, um, and he spent many hours in jail over because he was going to interview someone that they didn't want to interview. Really? That's it? He didn't even do anything yet. 
No, he hadn't done anything. So they arrested him preemptively because of this interview. Anurak Jin Tanawit. Uh, close. 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 I'm not going to look I it up. I'm going to let that slide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, redshirt activist, right? Political yeah, activist. Yeah. Thorn in the side of the junta, the military. Um, and one of those like, kind of attention-getting guys. Yeah. Um, he's one of those guys who keeps getting beat up by like shadowy figures who certainly the government didn't send. Mm-hmm. Um, him... Uh, Ekachai, Janu, right? He's been getting these beatdown visits, um, partly because he's very vocal and he he stages these kind of theatrical protests. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the the Belgian whose name is Chris Janssens was on his way to interview him. Anyways, a lot of people were very shocked by this, and and yes, you can say okay, it's an issue of privilege because Thai reporters get pushed around all the time. But it's still a whole new level of gall to to do this kind of thing to a foreign journalist. Yeah, I got I talked to him uh, just a day or two after this happened. Let me let me play some tape of of him telling the story. Yeah, let's hear it. And I arrived in Bangkok on Wednesday around noon time, and on Thursday morning, uh, when I came down, there were five. Uh, policemen, officers of the immigration service. Then they went into my room with me. Um, and in the end, I or they took all my stuff, my clothes, everything. What were they saying at this point? Oh, they didn't say much uh, because they didn't really speak English. What happens after that? Then they told me that there was, they called him the boss, so someone, some officer of a higher ranking, um, would want to ask me some questions, and I had to wait until uh, until this guy would arrive. And this took around, yeah, more than three hours. So we arrived at the office 7, 7.30, and I think he showed up around 11, 11.30. Okay. So when the boss came, what was the, what did he tell you? He started with a very open question, like, why are you in Thailand? But then it became clear that the reason why they arrested me and I, why I was there was that they saw on Facebook and online that I was in touch with Anurag and he advised me not to get in touch with him. I mean, at some point they made it clear why they had detained you and put taken you into custody um, and it was so you wouldn't interview Anurak. How, sort of, how did they put that to you? They said that uh, basically they wanted uh, to protect me against Anurak because they said if I would meet him and get involved in, in his organization that he would drag me into illegal activities and they wanted and did they, to... they specify yeah. what any of those illegal activities were? No. No, they just no. said illegal activities. So they said that they were they're they're doing this for your own good. Yes, yes. Basically, they were protecting me. Did you feel threatened, and if so, why? I was I was a bit afraid that they would take my stuff, my computer, sure. my recording equipment, um, or that they would deport me and put me on a blacklist that I could not enter Thailand for the next I don't know five or ten years. Um, and then during the conversation, uh, at a certain point, this officer uh, said, uh, maybe you should leave Thailand today. Um, and I said, okay, but I, uh, I have a flight. I booked a flight to go back to Cambodia on the 12th of October. Yeah. He had to make a phone call before he could answer that question. And then he said, okay, if you promise not to meet this anorak and not to get involved into politics whatsoever. They repeated, okay, but if you... 
if you do get in touch with NORAC, then you are in trouble. Right. Something that I think any reasonable person would construe as kind of a threat. So, Chris, what are your plans? Will you do you still plan to interview Anodak or? I have been negotiating with um, my editor in chief, uh, who sent me here to make this report. Uh, I had a meeting with my ambassador, uh, the Belgian ambassador. I talked to several journalists, and I think it's a good idea not to interview Anorak while I'm in Bangkok. So at this time. Uh, at this time, the, the original plan, making a report about politics, about Anorak and some of his friends, we decided not to do that. Well, thanks to whoever dispatched those uh, immigration police and police, you now have an entirely different story. Yes, of course. Yeah, I have, an, I have a different story. So I will be talking about my personal story uh, on, on, on the radio, in the radio show that I was supposed to make this report for. Um, but the, the, the report that we originally planned with Anorak in it will, yeah, I, I will not make it uh, this time. So, Chris, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. So that was Chris Janssen's interview with him. Um, oh, and I, I didn't mention that. Since, since this happened, even since I talked to him just this week, um, the, the authorities came out and said it's because he's a national security threat. Oh, of course. <laughs> All of those. Well, anyways, that's a lot of Bangkok rap. Um, <laughs> so I hope with that, that yeah. <laughs> we're out because that's all we got to say for today. That's all we've got to say today, people. Take care of yourselves. Uh, uh, live a good life. Um, if you see any elephants getting too close to a waterfall, mm-hmm. you know, maybe shoo them away. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Um, be sure to like and subscribe to the Coconuts Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I... Apple, Apple Podcasts, Podcast. Google. Google. Wooshka. I think it's pretty much everywhere. Yeah, now. just um, And, you know, uh, it really helps help spread the word if you write a five, a uh, three-word review, two-word review. I'm trying to think what the... Sh- Love it. That's the shortest review I can think of. Love or just rad, one word, Um, some kind of review. Hit up with your thoughts. Helps more people to hear the podcast, helps us, and we appreciate that. Um, Stay tuned to coconuts.co for the updates on these these stories and everything else new and fun going on. And we will see you next week. From Coconuts, Bangkok, my name's Tarika Moldavit. And I'm Todd Reese. Special thanks this week to our audio engineer, Indigo Mantagon at Noise Studio, where you can record your podcasts, interviews, voiceovers, or even get your soundtracks produced. The Coconuts Podcast is written and produced by Todd Reese and Tara Kamalvatanovic. Our executive producers are Byron Perry and Chad Williams. Thank you for tuning in, and see you next week. <laughs>